Hi, welcome to Talking Brains, a podcast about mental health, books, and what makes brains happy. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Sarkis. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Talking Brains. This week, we have a return guest, Dr. Irene Kersterman. Irene appeared on our first season where she talked about mental energy as expenses and income, and it's become a very popular episode. This episode, we'll be talking about navigating friendships in adulthood. Dr. Irene Kersterman is a licensed psychologist with offices in Boca Raton, Florida. With over 20 years experience, she has been trained to understand the relationship between the body and mind and to help people maximize their overall health. She can be found at drireneonline.com. That's D-R-I-R-E-N-E-O-N-L-I-N-E.com. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. And please hit that like button, that subscribe button. It's appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for coming back to the podcast. My pleasure. I'm glad I could be here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, as always, as always. So I, we had a really good response to your last uh, podcast episode, which is on the emotional bank account. So everybody can check that out. That's one of our highest rated episodes. So uh, and today we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm not surprised because, you know, you're you. So <laughs> well, thank you. Very <laughs> and so today we're going to talk about adult friendships. And yes. codependency and friendships and also dealing with endings of relationships. It's just, you know, when you when we were talking yesterday about what we wanted to discuss today, it was interesting how I, I was halfway through my day and I'd already had like two or three conversations about this with people. It just seems to be something that people struggle with because, you know, we kind of deal with the adolescent friendships, we deal with the young adult friendships in college, and then we have these whole new types of friendships as adults, and we don't always know the rules of them or how to keep them healthy. That's a really good point, because adult relationships are somehow different than the ones you have in college. They are. I think it's, I think partially because when we're in college, assuming we're single in college and kind of traditional students, because not everybody is, but the traditional college student is still working on identity development, still trying to figure out who they are. Friendships become the new kind of temporarily chosen family where we get a lot of our validation and our sense of identity from. And then as we grow up and move further on into our lives and take on additional roles as adults, as partners, as spouses, as parents, as adult children of older parents themselves, I think the place of friendships in our lives changes. The Mm. significance, importance, and and what they're for changes because we're not really looking for friendships anymore to help define us. We're looking to them for something else, something different. To maybe enhance what our life that's already put in place to enhance to support to lend an ear to add entertainment and enjoyment Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think all sorts of different functions and because at that point we also have so many other responsibilities how we treat our friendships can change as well our energy resources are finite Mm-hmm. And so with all the energy we're spending on other things in our life, there's less energy that we have to give towards our friendships. So I think we tend to be more selective or if we're not, we are as selective as we need to be. I think friendships can become more of an energy or 
that point, I guess it's not friendship, but associations that aren't truly friendship-like can become more draining than helpful. Let me ask you a question. Okay. What, what role do your friends play in your life? The role that friends have, I guess my priorities in life are first my health and then my family and then my friends and then works after that. So that would be my order of priority. Um, so I think friends, it's a support network. It's a sharing network. It's, uh, I think that that's pretty much, yeah. And there's emotional intimacy too, which sure. is, which is knowing and being known, I think. Mm-hmm. So I would think that's pretty much it. I don't know if I'm answering that the right, the right way. <laughs> no, you absolutely. There is no right or wrong answer, said the therapist. Um, but do you think you've been more selective over time as to who you would call a friend? I think so, because I think I've become less of a people pleaser. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean it more that I think one of the joys of being in your 40s is that I care less what other people think. Mm-hmm. I have become better at being proactive with my self-care and also being more aware of who gives me energy and who depletes my energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, yeah, that's probably made me a little more selective probably because I, and I'm better at setting boundaries. I think than I, that I was in my twenties for sure. That's very well put. I, I think that, that that's one of the features of, of adult relationships. I think there's a lot less fluff in adult friendships. Mm-hmm. There's a lot less, I'm friends with you because I don't have the energy not to be friends with you or to tell you I don't want to be friends with you anymore. Mm. I think there's less of that. I think the friendships that we have as we get older are fewer in number and deeper in intimacy. Right. And because of that, it's kind of a almost a different set of rules and a different set of expectations. And mm-hmm. sometimes people who are more of the people-pleasing type struggle with ending relationships that really aren't working for them anymore, ending friendships that aren't really working for them anymore, or having others end friendships with them. Mm-hmm. That as the pairing process happens, as we all inevitably pare down on the number of friends we have because of our all our other obligations, sometimes we don't make the cut and that hurts our feelings. Yeah, and then we get into that in extreme cases, that rejection-sensitive dysphoria, where it's really hard to bounce back after we feel like we've been rejected. Yeah, and it's not only knowing how and when to choose a friend, but also how to react when someone doesn't choose you as a friend. Right, and that it's it's usually not personal, even though it feels really personal. Yeah, but is it, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking for a second. Mm-hmm. Is it personal, but is it rejecting? Because it is kind of personal, right? Because somebody's saying to you, we were friends. Now we're not friends. I don't want to be friends. And that is a personal statement. And I think when we say, oh, but it's not personal. It's not you. It's me. Yeah, that's BS. (laughs) Well, Well, I think there's two different levels of personal. I think, yeah, you're being told it. So it's personal in that way. But I think that the reason why the person doesn't want to be friends with you anymore is more about their stuff than your stuff. And that you have an opportunity to figure out kind of what went wrong and say, Hey, tell me why this didn't work. Not that, you know, you, we want to be friends again, but is there anything I could have done differently on my end? Kind of like after a breakup, you can do like a postmortem like that. Right. I, I guess from a cognitive behavioral perspective, I go to, well, it's not always you. 
Right. It's not always you. It, it could be that the other person's needs and friendship or mindedness has changed. And so mm-hmm. you're not as like-minded as you used to be. Right. And sometimes it just happens. And sometimes just it just happens. Mm-hmm. And I, the reason I'm kind of saying, well, maybe it is, quote unquote, you, mm-hmm. not in a negative way, right? Because when someone says, look, I don't really think we connect anymore. Our natural inclination is to say, well, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. Well, what if you didn't do anything wrong? What if you were you and they were them? And nobody, it's not about issues or anything other than my needs and friendship or my thoughts and and values in life have changed. And we are no longer as compatible as we used to be. Almost like a not to quote Gwyneth Paltrow here, but a conscious uncoupling. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right? Yeah. A, a, a conscious, right, a, a decision between two people that says we were once compatible and now we're not. And our, our natural inclination is to take that as a rejection. Why don't they like me anymore? Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's not about that they don't like you anymore. It's that you're not compatible anymore. You've changed as people, you've grown as people. And it's not that either one of you is negative or either one of you has done anything wrong. Mm -hmm. It's that you're just not the same people you were when you became friends. Right. People change, needs change. Energy availability changes. Right. And I think also too, if you've been through a crisis, like a death in your family, I tell people that nothing really whittles down your friend group like a crisis because you realize which friends are there for you and which friends aren't. So I have some people, like I had a friend that went with me to the funeral home and they lost her luggage. So she went with me to the store to buy an outfit to bury my mom in. And so, you know, that's like a true blue friend. Right. So that kind of tells you, it kind of really defines your friend group. And I think that kind of goes back to the things we need from our friends over time. Mm-hmm. As we take on these adult things that happen to people over time, losses, challenges, losing of jobs, losing of family, losing of mm-hmm. parents, big moves, major life decisions, we don't so much look for, hey, you're fun to hang out with. Mm-hmm. We more so look for, can I count on you to show up? Right. Right. Even if it is, and you're fun to hang out with, so let's go do something silly. Mm -hmm. It's more of, can I count on you to show up? If I have, if I'm having a bad day and I call you and say, I need to get together. I need to vent. Will you show up? Right. Right. Because in our younger days, it's like, Hey, do you like doing the same things I like doing? Right. And that's, we choose our friends. And then later on, I think it does become, we do seek more meaningful connections, more people that we can rely on. And, friendships that are multitasking yes Mm -hmm. you're fun and you show up and you're there for me instead of are you available on friday night right right i mean i have friends when i was younger who the reason they were my friends was because if you called me at 10 30 11 o'clock at night and said we're going out i would say i'll be down i'll be there in 10 minutes Mm -hmm. and that was the extent of the friendship it was people that i went that would call me when they needed company to just go do something fun those aren't the friendships I seek anymore. For, for first of all, because I don't go out anymore, <laughs> anymore, because <laughs> I can't wake up in the morning. But also because 
again, because of all of the responsibilities of, of life, I don't have a lot of friend energy. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be selective about multitasking my relationships. Right. And investing energy in the relationships that, yes, you can call me and I'll, we'll go and we'll have fun and we'll do our thing. But yes, I, you can always call me or I can call you when you've had a bad day and you just need to talk. Mm-hmm. And I think it depends on the flexibility of the other person too. Sure. Like uh, when we scheduled a call, I had something that happened and you had something that happened and everybody was good with it. So we just scheduled a different time. Right. Because you have to, you have to be flexible like that. And I think that's another thing that defines too, that in college it's, it, it's okay if someone kind of changes plans, but it's a little irritating, but now it's just kind of like, that's how life goes. Right. And we don't take that personally, but also at the same time being simultaneously mindful of the fact that making plans isn't as easy as it used to be. Right. Right. So that if you did like make plans, okay, on this day, on this night, we're going out to dinner before you change those plans, be mindful of the fact of what the other person had to go through right? to make that possible. But the, the thing that people struggle with, I think, or what I'm hearing in my office as people are struggling with is one is when their friend has a different expectation and understanding of the responsibilities of friendship mm-hmm. yeah. than they do. Mm-hmm. Or when the values are just no longer the same and, and they don't know how to exit a longstanding friendship that really just doesn't feel right to them anymore, doesn't feel healthy to them anymore. Right. It doesn't lift them up. They, they feel right. drained after spending time with that person. That's one of the keys I tell people is that when you're with this person, do you get more energy from them or does it drain your energy? And usually right. people can tell me right away which one it is. So when you talk to your clients about ending friendships, mm-hmm. What do you tell them? We talk about that people just change and that sometimes people are in our lives for a certain time period for a reason. And what did you learn from that relationship? And what are you going to take with you? And if that person was maybe not healthy, and because I, I work with a lot of people that have experienced gaslighting or narcissistic friendships or relationships, we talk about how you can better identify as someone is a narcissist in the future. I would say that with that type of personality, you have to just go cold turkey and just cut them off. Uh, because confronting them and saying, hey, we can't be friends anymore actually increases their behavior. So it's a little bit different than I would say a standard friendship. So there's that piece to it. So, uh, but I would say like a standard friendship that doesn't involve a narcissist, you know, again, it's talking about what, what did you learn from this? And a lot of times I would say people really don't want to do a, a final kind of break, just to have less contact over time. And just hope that their message gets through, which is a pro and con. The pro is that you don't have to deal with breaking up with your friend. The con is that your message doesn't really get across. And then you're continually just saying no to someone until they catch on. So I think there's right. there's two different sides to that. Okay, so playing devil's advocate for a minute. What if you're on the receiving end of that more indirect message? Right. And I, I would say that we look at that too, that how do you think the other person feels that you're saying no, but not saying finally, like getting the person closure. I think closure is overrated, but you know what I mean? Just saying that, hey, I've really enjoyed our friendship, but I'm kind of overloaded right now and I can't do the things we used to do, or I can't go do drinking wine and painting on Tuesday or whatever, whatever the activity is. Right. Um, that kind of thing. I think it's easier for people when they say, hey, I can't do X activity rather than I don't want to spend time with you. 
I think that's an avenue that sometimes people go uh, because then it's almost like rejection activity instead of the person. And I think that that's more palatable to people. But again, yeah, on the other end, sometimes people feel like, well, you know, if I'm not totally clear about the fact that I'm ending the relationship, then they're going to be less hurt by it. I think a lot of it comes down to people not wanting to hurt people. Right. Yeah, it, it really is a sticky thing because ultimately it is a breakup. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can talk about ending any kind of relationship without using the word breakup. When you need to end a relationship with somebody, I think we have to accept that we are going to hurt their feelings. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily a reason not to do it. Right. It's not necessarily a reason not to follow what our truth is. But like anything else, if you're going to do something that hurts somebody, it is appropriate to at least acknowledge the other person's feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't do the activity anymore or listen, the truth is, is that I'm not going to be as available as mm-hmm. I have been. Things are more busy and I, I'm sorry. I know that that might hurt your feelings, but that's just the way I have to do things right now. Mm-hmm. And at least that acknowledges the fact that, yeah, you, you do have a right to have feelings about that. Right. And I think prefacing it too with, well, this is a really awkward conversation, I think gets that out of the way. Yeah. Well, any awkward conversation, it is a hard thing to do. And I think people practice much more avoidance of managing their friendships that way than they do of managing their romantic relationships that way. Because we have an understanding that if you want to end a romantic relationship, it's an awkward, difficult conversation, but you kind of say, hey, you know, sit them down and go, listen, it's not working for me anymore. But when it comes to friendships, we kind of skirt that. And I don't know that that's fair. And I wonder why that is. Is that because we spend more time with the person we're romantically involved in? And so if you're living with somebody, you kind of got to be upfront. I think it's partially expectations. You know, when Mm. growing up, you know that you break up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about ending of friendships, we say, oh, we're just not friends anymore. Well, how did that happen? Well, we just stopped hanging out. Right. So. Mm -hmm. When we're in a romantic relationship and we ghost somebody, it's like, wow, you really owed them something. Like, you should have at least told them you were disappearing on them. Right. And I noticed that more so now with the ghosting effect, that Mm -hmm. just trailing off is emotionally safer for people. Right. And I think that as, I think we need to acknowledge that that's true of friendships as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, As as adults, right? Because when we're younger, our friendships... Because the friendships we choose as adults serve double duty and definite and tend to be more meaningful, I think as adults, when we end relationships, we need to give them the respect that they deserve. But if it is a true friendship that had emotional intimacy to it and was deeper, then acknowledging the end of it is just as important as ending a romantic involvement. Right. And I think in some cases, it can be even harder for people to end a friendship, especially when yeah. a lot of friendships last longer than the person's romantic relationships. <laughs> ain't, ain't, ain't that the truth? Yeah. And it's somehow harder to say to a friend, what you did hurt my feelings, and I don't think I want to be friends with you anymore. Yeah. And isn't that interesting when in some cases, you have even more of an emotional, deep connection with a friend? than yeah. some of the people that you dated. So, And that's, that's kind of what you were saying earlier about mm-hmm. my friendships as I've gotten older are the people who will show up, are the people who are emotionally invested and emotionally intimate. 
it's easy to end friendships like with the person you paint on Tuesdays with and just say, well, no, I'm not going to be going to that anymore. My schedule changed. Right. Okay. But if it's somebody who really was a friend as opposed to an acquaintance who just wasn't there for you, mm-hmm. like, let me give you a, for instance, let's say somebody who didn't call you when your mom passed away and just ghosted that situation. Cause mm-hmm. for whatever reason, and then a year later, shows up and goes, oh, hey, it's been so long. I miss you. What's going on? So I actually had that happen. And the first thing that I thought was, well, you know, it's really hard to call someone and express your condolences about their parent dying. And this was someone that had not had a parent die, but I know that that was a fear that they had had. So it's almost like it makes it real and almost contagious. So I looked Mm -hmm. at it from the perspective of maybe they were protecting themselves from feeling some yucky stuff, but it still would have been nice if they called. And well, I said, I go, well, you know, my mom died. Instead of just saying, hey, it would have been nice if you called because that's just not my style. I just talked to her about how her kids were doing and whatever. And we just kind of left it at that. But and, and she's the kind of person I can go do stuff with. But I don't think I would lean on her in a time of crisis. So it changed the relationship. And maybe we weren't that tight anyway to begin with it changed the depth that I was willing to go with that relationship. I think that's another piece of the maturing friendship is recognizing that somebody can be, you know, somebody whose company you enjoy and that's okay, but you don't have to call them friend. Mm -hmm. And just like you wouldn't necessarily call them at three o'clock in the morning, if they call you at three o'clock in the morning and say, come rescue me, you don't have to be that person for them either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that differs. So you can, just like in romantic relationships, you could feel one way about a friend and them not feel the same way about you. It may be more right. intense for them or more intense for you too. And that gets a little sticky as well. Absolutely, because, you know, you might feel like your friendship is really close. But then when you ask for support and don't get it, it can be confusing. One of the things that's changed about me over time with friendships is I used to have this desire or assumption that if I would do it for you, you should be willing to do it for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I don't feel that way and I don't conduct myself that way anymore. Right. The social reciprocity, which is good in concept. You want to have at least be somewhat equal, but it's not always going to be 100% equal. Right. If somebody asks something of me and I opt to give it, if they don't respond accordingly when I need something, rather than say, well, you're being mean or you're not being a good friend, rather than do that, what I tend to do is say, oh, so you're a different type of friend than I thought you were. Right. And how much am I willing to emotionally risk to get into emotional intimacy with you, I guess? Right. And where in the circle of friends, how close to the vest are you? Are you someone that I can call friend and rely on and call to help me move or are you the hey we're going for you know it's taco tuesday let's go kind of friend and i used to think that if i would do anything for you then if you wouldn't do anything for me i should let my feelings get hurt Mm -hmm. but now i i'm much more attuned to the fact that that's not necessarily true it's just information for me Right. It's just data collection because people right. have families. You've got people that are taking care of kids and their parents right now at, at our age. And so, yeah, you look at the mitigating factors. 
that sometimes your role is just to help that person because right now they just don't have the energy to do it. Or if your friend has depression right, um, and they just really aren't able to um, have the contact with you that you would like, sometimes that's just how things go. So here's, here's an interesting question that mm-hmm. I've been pondering lately. If you have a friend who has either severe depression or social anxiety or, or, or something of that nature, mm-hmm. and they kind of present it as, I can't do the friend thing the way you want to do it because of my issues. Like I didn't call you for three months because of my anxiety, or mm-hmm. I constantly changed plans with you because of my anxiety. How much leeway or how much room do you allow for that in terms of maintaining the friendship? When I meet with clients and we talk about this, I recommend that they give the person information and say, hey, you know, I, I realize that there's an issue. Here are some people you can talk to. I will, I'm willing to come to the appointment with you the first time if you'd like. Uh, if you'd like me even call, make an appointment for you, that's fine. But usually if that person is not willing to get help, then I recommend that people kind of reassess because I, the analogy that I was taught in training is that when someone's about to jump off a bridge, you want to make sure that you're not tied to them. Right. And it's really easy to get into someone else's stuff. But there's also that piece of you can give them the tools, but then that's what you have control over. Right. I guess kind of where I recently had a situation where I have a friend who has some social anxiety and over time it was less and less contact, less and less returning of calls, um, less and less willingness to go do things, canceling plans at the last minute. And the explanation was always, well, you know, my anxiety mm-hmm. and Ultimately, the friendship did suffer for it, Mm -hmm. but I always go back and forth in my own mind about cut them some slack because they're struggling with this thing and this isn't easy. But at the same time, we're in a reciprocal relationship. And if your anxiety interferes with your ability to be a good friend to me, at what point do I say, well, you know what? The best I can do is step back and give you time and space to deal with your anxiety And when you're ready to be my friend, let me know. Yeah, I think it depends on the nature of the anxiety and how deep it is and if it's paralyzing. But I think that giving people some resources and saying, hey, you know, I'm I'm a therapist, but I'm not your therapist. Right. When I'm talking with people, like I've had friends that want to kind of a therapy session and I usually just tell them, hey, I'm off the clock. Because sometimes I just can't (laughs) talk about people's stuff. And when I say that, it's kind of a humorous way to kind of get the point across that, I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't do this right now. And I'll say, you know, maybe like, give me a shout tomorrow. And then I'll probably be in like a different headspace. But I need to like clear my head from the stuff that I, you know, because people tell us some pretty rough stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So my friends are good friends know when I mean that, that I just can't. And I think that's an important boundary to have is just to say, hey, I can't process this right now. Or I can't talk about your anxiety right now. And I think good friends understand. I think when you set boundaries, you find out again, really quickly who you're, true friends are not right and i think that's what's in my head as you say that is that really is the deciding factor Mm -hmm. if you set the boundary with somebody and say i'm not going to keep chasing you if you're going to keep running away from me because of your anxiety i'm just going to stand still and when you're ready to approach me you approach me Mm -hmm. 
if that makes the person run away and never come back, then that was how they responded to that boundary. If that enables that person to step back, regroup and figure out whether they still want to invest in a relationship with you and find their way back to you, then great. Right. Because number one is your health and your well-being. Because if you don't have that in check and you don't take care of that, then you can't be a good participant in your family or a friend or yeah right. and part of that is saying you know i can't do this right now or i can i'm willing to do this but you know everybody has the right to do less than what's humanly possible that just because you're available on saturday doesn't mean that you're going to be able to help somebody with with this that and the other you know that it's okay to say no now you you still get the social consequences of that no but again it depends on how the other person handles it if somebody's temporarily annoyed but then they're like okay you know no problem i get it but if they're holding it against you or get passive aggressive, then that tells you a lot about that friendship. Right. And I think the moral of the story as we talk is that friendships get <laughs> not easier because, I don't know, that just feels that way. Well, then you get into things, too, of like your family and does the person like who you're in a relationship with or do they like your kids? And it, you get into a whole bunch of other layers, mm-hmm. too. Um, you know, I've had friends that were in relationships with people or married to someone that, and one friendship in particular, that he is just not a good mm. person. And so I've limited my contact because he has to be at every single time that we get together. Mm-hmm. And I've expressed my concerns to her alone that, you know, this is not a healthy thing. But so I've limited my contact with her because they always come in a mm-hmm. pod. Yeah, it definitely does get trickier. I think for me, if it gets to be too complicated, I have a tendency at this point in my life to say, I don't need more complicated relationships in my life. I think that that's one of the deciding factors for me as to whether someone stays in my life as a friend is how complicated is this relationship? If I have to guess what you're thinking, if I have to put up with your spouse that I don't care for, if I can't rely on you to keep the plans that we made after we talked about rearranging this, that, and the other thing in order to do it, then you're too complicated. And I'm sorry, I don't have time for that right now. Right, because again, life is short. And how much time do you want to spend deciphering what someone wants, especially passive aggressiveness? That's something that if someone's being passive aggressive, I just really don't waste a lot of time on. I just go ahead and move on. I mean, I, I think the best relationship you can have is when you're both transparent. And that doesn't mean cruel. It just means that being open and direct. That's another thing is as you get older, you're willing to tolerate less stuff. What do you think about the concept of codependence? Because part of it, I think, is is cultural. And that depends on your cultural background and whether you consider somebody codependent or not. What's your thoughts on that? I think sometimes friendships can become codependent. Sometimes one, just like in any relationship, one member of the group becomes the designated problem person and and the other becomes the designated problem solver. Kind of our our joking analogy of whose phone is ringing at three in the morning. Mm -hmm. Right. And when that happens, the same resentments that happen in codependent relationships happen in codependent friendships. It's the same kind of resentment. It's the same. You take up all the air. Then there's give, 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 and and no right. reciprocal. 
And because we want to be good friends, we want to be there for our friends. And you and I have talked a lot today about who's going to show up. So we want to be that person who shows up. At the same time, we don't need to be the person who's the only one who shows up or the one who always has to show up for you. And when it, again, becomes more draining than than energizing, it is also okay to say, I'll be there for you. I'll go with you to talk to somebody else, but I can't answer the phone at three in the morning every night. The, The defining characteristic for me of codependence is I need you to be down so that I can feel good about myself as I bring you up. And then as I do that repeatedly, I really resent you for not taking care of yourself, even though that's never been part of the deal. That's a great definition. So in the cultural aspect, it's not codependency unless either one party is stuck being sick so that the other party can always be the savior or the party that's designated the savior is now resentful for having to save everybody. If this is the cultural norm and everybody understands that sometimes I'm the down person, sometimes I'm the up person, everyone's going to be in my business, everyone's going to have an opinion, and whether I ask for it or not, someone's showing up at my house, and that's the cultural norm, have at it. If everybody's happy, everybody's happy. But if somebody is feeling like they can't be healthy because then what's the other person going to do when they don't have somebody to take care of? Or if somebody is feeling like I'm so sick of being the healthy one all the time, I feel like you're jumping off the bridge and I'm tied to you, then it becomes codependency. Yeah, that's a really good way of saying it. You can help someone without becoming their issue. And that likewise, you have free will in deciding how much you're going to get involved in their issue. Right. And this is a repetitive issue that they're not seeking additional help for. So, And I think in particular people with personality disorders that when you're in a relationship where there's so much manipulation going on and guilt. So I see a lot of friendships that they are maintained due to a level of guilt between the different people that if I walk away from this person, they tell me that I'm their only friend or they're going to hurt themselves. And I said, well, someone threatens that they're going to hurt themselves if you leave, then you got to call 911. I see quite a few relationships are held together by emotional blackmail and guilt's a very powerful emotion. Yes. And anytime there's an emotional blackmail situation, I think it's tap out. (laughs) Yeah. That there's nothing healthy about that. And if they say, well, I can't do this without you, I'm going to end my life without you, you call 911 and you tap out because Mm -hmm. that is a person jumping off the bridge and taking you with. Right. Or saying, you owe me. I did this for you. So then, therefore, you owe me. That quid pro quo kind of thing. And, and that's not necessarily true. No, and that's absolutely. No, I, nobody owes you anything. You're not entitled to anybody's right. time. You're not entitled to anybody's energy. No matter who it is, nobody owes you anything. Right, right. And and that's that setting that boundaries, that you have the right to say no at any time. You have the right to change your mind at any time. You have the right to do less than what's humanly possible. Right. And the more we kind of look at ourselves, I think mean, that's one thing therapy is great for, is looking at yourself and figuring out what your boundaries are. Because maybe your family of origin, you weren't really sure how to set up boundaries. Or maybe your boundaries are a little too rigid. That can be an issue, too. I think the moral of the story is people are complicated. At the same time, friendships can be simple. Yeah. I think the simplest ones, I think, are the ones where you can just sit with somebody and just spend time with them. Nobody really feels the need to talk. My personal favorite friendships are the ones that aren't hurt by the fact that there's life outside the friendship. Like six months, a year, five years, 10 years, you know, can go by and you 
doing your thing and then you get together for lunch and it's like, we saw each other last week. So let me catch you up on the latest. Those are the friendships that I enjoy, the ones that are really simple. So the rules of friendship are, you know, have healthy boundaries, have a dynamic relationship where there's kind of, there's give and take and no one plays just one role. Check whether you're being lifted up by this person or if you're being kind of dragged down by it. And it's okay to end a relationship at any time for any reason. If you have to end a relationship for any reason, end it with the reverence and respect that you would have given it at its best and at its height, because that's what it contributed to your life give it the respect that it deserves as you say goodbye to it well thank you so much for being on the podcast again it was my pleasure thank you for listening to another episode of talking brains i'm your host dr stephanie sarkis at stephaniesarkis.com and thank you to our guest irene she can be found at drireneonline.com that's d-r-i-r-e-n-e-o-n-l-i-n-e.com Hit that like button and subscribe. It's appreciated and have a great day.